The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. The book of Daniel, chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his countenance toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the men 
who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Wasn't it three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut in pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of this portion of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. The sermon is entitled, The Face in the Fiery Furnace. Let us pray. We come, O oh God, to ask you to unveil our blinded eyes that we might see the realities of your world that is here with us, that we might not be deceived and blinded by Satan so that our values are totally twisted. But help us, O oh God, to see the reality of Christ's kingdom in our midst. For we ask in his name, amen. There is a face in the fiery furnace. As America becomes more and more secularistic, biblical Christianity becomes more and more a religious minority. A church in a minority may be tempted to compromise, to water down, to accommodate. On the other hand, a church in a minority may be led to act unwisely, to lead with the chin, to ask for trouble. But there is a face in the fiery furnace, for the God of the Hebrews governs mighty men and nations. Look, if you will, at the contest and the conquest, as it is described in this portion of Scripture. First of all, the contest. The contest between mighty men and nations and the God of the Hebrews is set up by the decree 
of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now you understand, we're talking about a real person, this man Nebuchadnezzar. He began to rule in Babylon in 605 B.C., and his name and his accomplishments have been inscribed by his own scribes in stone and are preserved for us today. King Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree that all peoples, lands, and nations whom he had conquered were to bow before his golden image. God's people were not asking for trouble. They had been taken away from their native Palestine and were removed from their own lands and subjects to an alien society, and they were adjusted to that different kind of life. But when Nebuchadnezzar lifted up this image of gold 90 feet high, which would be about three times the height of this sanctuary, and commanded all his subjects to bow, then the stage was set for the contest. Probably Nebuchadnezzar got this idea of this massive image. Can you imagine it? At first I thought, well, maybe it's a solid gold image, but when you figure it's three times the height of of this sanctuary, then it probably was a little gilded gold, a little gold plate. But nonetheless, it would take a tremendous amount of gold plate out on the middle of a flat plain where it could be seen from miles and miles and miles around. Nebuchadnezzar probably got the idea from the dream that God had given him as described just in the chapter before. He has a dream of an image, a very large image with a head of gold that goes down to feet of iron and clay. Now, the reason for that dream was to explain to Nebuchadnezzar that though he was a head of gold, his kingship was under the sovereign God of the Hebrews. For a stone not made with hands was to crash into the feet of that image and bring those world empires down to the Roman Empire to ruin and to nothing. The purpose was to humble King Nebuchadnezzar, even though it recognized that he was as the head of gold. Jesus Christ is that stone. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And in time, he came and crushed the powers of the nations of the world. And since that time, his kingdom has been spreading throughout the whole of the earth. But Nebuchadnezzar, the king, in a swelling of pride that surpasses the imagination, aspires to replace that dream image with a real image of solid gold, totally gold, and all the nations will come and worship him. He is saying, I am the king of kings, and I am the Lord of lords. I shall be timeless, and no one shall destroy my kingdom. But like so many men who come into power, his pride destroys him. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty look before a fall. By the next chapter of the book of Daniel, you see King Nebuchadnezzar out in the field eating grass like an ox with his fingernails grown to a point that they are distorted, his, the dew falling in his unkempt hair and his beard filled with the slobber that has come from his own mouth. But having made this massive 90-foot-high statue covered with gold, Nebuchadnezzar holds an international service of dedication. He invites every person of prominence in his kingdom, every judge, 
every man that is an executive of significance to come on a given occasion to bow before him. A recent issue of the Washingtonian magazine described the prime society guests lists that are in and about Washington. If you're thinking of throwing a party, you might check it out and see who you would like to include. However, as the article explains, you may have to disinvite some people if you want some of the prime ones to come. They may write you a very polite letter and say, yes, I'll come if so-and-so is not coming. And you may have to pay the price of choosing either this or that high society friend. Now, such is the nature of human pride, but such was not the need of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had no such problem. When people were invited by Nebuchadnezzar, they came. A man that has the power to throw you into the fiery furnace or chop you up into pieces or reduce your household to a dunghill is someone that you pay attention to. And when he invites, you generally come. To all the dignitaries, the herald proclaims this decree, and he does it loudly according to the scripture. Whenever this beautiful music sounds from whatever instrument is nearest you, you are immediately to bow. And if you do not, then you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. You can see that it's all done with taste, art, culture, and the music of Babylon will support the king in this endeavor. He is something of a law and order man, and the one who does not dare to bow down, he will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was quite a man. There are not many people, maybe a dozen people that have walked across the pages of history like Nebuchadnezzar. He had marched across Assyria. He had marched down through Syro-Palestine. He had marched even down into the depths of Africa to conquer the Egyptian kingdom. And he was a sovereign lord over three continents, the whole known world of that day. Everywhere he went, he was established as the undisputed ruler of all men, controlling their thoughts and patterns of life. So all peoples came. It made no difference what their religious background They did what he said. Buddhists, Hindus, Christian scientists, Mormons, atheists, agnostics, they all bowed before the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. Today you have an interesting situation developing in this country. Secularistic humanism rapidly is becoming the official religion of the country. The exclusion of anything related to God is the way of religion. And don't let people tell you that secularistic humanism, the worship of man as the measure of all things, is not a religion. For a religion is that which demands a person's ultimate loyalty. A religion is the philosophical framework of a man's life. You may not be far from the day in which in one way or another you will be required to submit to the ideology of secularistic humanism. Now, there was one little exception to that universal submission to Nebuchadnezzar's demand. Nebuchadnezzar's astrologers report the audacious behavior of three little Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These Hebrews, when they heard the music, would not bow. They had been set over the king's affairs. They had positions of authority, and yet... They are not bowing to the king. 
purple with rage. Nebuchadnezzar sends for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now you have a confrontation on a different level, not just by a decree of paper, but by the confrontation with the face of the person himself. Perhaps you've seen a powerful man in a rage. He storms up and down the room. He shouts with his voice. He glares with his eyes. He pounds with his fist. He intimidates anyone who dares even think about refusing to do what he says. Is it true, says Nebuchadnezzar? I cannot believe my ears. Is it true that you are not bowing down to my image? Well, I'll give you one more chance out of the graciousness of my heart, says Nebuchadnezzar. I'll let the music sound one more time. And if you're ready to bow down immediately, then I will spare you. But otherwise, you go into the fiery furnace. And then we shall see whether this God that you worship is able to deliver you from my hands. Now you can see the cards are all on the table. It's Nebuchadnezzar versus all the gods. And you might hyphenate that, all the gods. Nebuchadnezzar versus all the gods. He's taken on all the gods of the world and established himself in contradiction to all the gods of the world. He has won. His bluff has won with one exception. All other gods capitulate to him. The representatives of every other god on the face of the earth has bowed to the image all the gods with one exception. The God of the Hebrews will not let his subjects bow. That's the contest. Now, here is the conquest. Look at the gentle way by which God represents his cause before this raging king. Three little men. Immigrants, foreigners, representatives of a religious minority. But what men? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. They don't say, oh, king. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We don't need to answer you. We don't need to answer you. We don't have an obligation because our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Even if you should do the worst that you're threatening, we don't have to answer you because our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. We don't know his will, but we know his ability. How pitiful it is when you choose to live apart from the power of God in your life. How limiting. You could have God's power working for you, but do you instead choose to strut about with that power that you can establish as your own? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego already have won round one. They've won the first victory already. The purpose of Nebuchadnezzar was to intimidate them to bow, but they will not be intimidated. With the God of the Hebrews, you can have that kind of victory every day of your life. But to do so, you've got to regard yourself to be expendable for Christ. You've got to be ready to lay down your life at any moment. As a matter of fact, you must take up your cross to self-crucifixion that you might be freed to live for Jesus Christ. You've got to understand that the principle 
of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over the whole of the world is more important than any personal pragmatic gain you might experience. The principle of the Lord Jesus Christ over all of this world and over your life is a more important principle to maintain than any personal pragmatic gain you might experience. Just think of the excuses that these three men might have offered. We shouldn't surrender our position of influence. What good would we do, God's people, if we get thrown in the fiery furnace? God has put us providentially in these positions, and can't we just finagle it a little bit, just finesse around this this problem of the king, and then we can continue in our position of authority? Nobody else seems to be bothered. Maybe our consciences are overworked by our reformed fundamentalist perspective on this matter, and we need to listen to the broader sounds that are about us. And besides, it's only an external action. He doesn't demand any submission of the heart. It's just a bowing of the body. And what is that? And, of course, we've got to live, don't we? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew exactly how to answer that question. No, we don't have to live. Continuing in life is not a necessity. Dying is a necessity. None of the accoutrements normally associated with life are necessary. You don't have to have a house, food, or clothes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, we don't know whether he will rescue us from the fiery furnace. He has the power to. We don't know. But we know that he will rescue us from your hand. We know that to die is gain. We know that the present sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in the life to come. You must evaluate the life that is to come as being of more value than anything that you can gain in this life if you are going to have the freedom and the power for God in this world that is manifested in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Have you found that freedom? God calls you to that freedom, but you've got to in this time of peace. You've got to begin to meditate and think about the values of being a free man in Christ and of the freedom of the new heavens and the new earth that is sure to be yours if you are loyal to him. You must learn to think in those thoughts and in those terms and to count them as more valuable to you than anything you could gain on this life so that when the pressure starts, Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will be ready to respond the way you should. Not asking for trouble in the midst of a secularistic society. Not going out of your way. Not making a fool of yourself. But when pressured to respond with the gentleness but the firmness of conviction concerning the reality of the world that is to come. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. His countenance changed. And you know that No administrator and no coach can afford to let his countenance change. He's got to be Mr. Cool if he's going to maintain control over his subjects. And poor Nebuchadnezzar, he's suffered loss number two already. His countenance changes. He goes into a rage. He commands his servants to heat the furnace seven times hotter than usual. Take the strongest of my soldiers to bind these three men. He's blown it again. Just any old furnace would have done. 
Any old soldiers would have been strong enough to bind these three men. It's so interesting to see how many times God takes the strength of his enemies as the basis for destroying them. Don't you know that God caused the downfall of Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, Nero, Nebuchadnezzar, and every other tyrant that lives on the face of the earth? God works in quiet little ways and turns their own power and pride against them. Napoleon has to go into Russia, and he is consumed by the providence of God in that vast land. Hitler can't be satisfied with just a western front. He's got to move toward an eastern front also. And because of his pride and lust for power, he destroys himself. But it's God that is doing it. Three men bound tightly fall into the heart of the furnace. But the strong men of Nebuchadnezzar are consumed even as they get near the door of that furnace. His best men, Nebuchadnezzar, has lost. Because of his folly. But now Nebuchadnezzar peers in. And he sees a strange thing. Nebuchadnezzar is a scientific man. And he is employing the tried technique of observation and experimentation. He looks into that fiery furnace and he says, Didn't we put three men in there bound? Why, yes, O king, we did exactly what you told us to do. But I see them walking around unbound, and yet their clothes are not being consumed. Hmm, a very strange thing. And I see also a fourth figure. I can count one, two, three. Hmm. There's a number four in there. And his likeness is to a son of the gods. There is a face in the fiery furnace. When God brings you to the point of confrontation with the gods of this world, if you will be loyal to him, There will be a face in the fiery furnace. There will be the Son of God present to comfort and to strengthen you. What did Nebuchadnezzar see that made him think it was one likened to a son of the gods? Well, he may have seen an angelic form, but more likely what he saw was that which is described in Revelation chapter 1 concerning the Son of God among the lampstands, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash about his chest. His head and hair were white with wool, as white as snow. When did our Lord Jesus Christ's hair turn white as snow from the ages of his living To rule over the face of the earth. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. There is a face in the fiery furnace. It is the face of the Son of God shining in all its brilliance. He shall be there with his people 
supporting and strengthening them when they are under fire and persecution. Now Nebuchadnezzar openly admits defeat. The greatest monarch on the face of the earth publicly acknowledges the superiority of the God of the Hebrews, and yet many people today fail to do so. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come to me, he says. He wants them. First he wanted to get rid of them, but now he's so awestruck that he wants them. Nebuchadnezzar now performs the humble task of a herald himself. He's the mighty king, but he becomes the mouthpiece for the glorification of God. Praise be to the God of the Hebrews, he says, and praise be to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He praises these three men for some strange things. He praises them, first of all, because they trusted their God. You've got to trust God, not just when it's clear that he's going to deliver you, but when it's not clear that he's going to deliver you. You must trust him. You must entrust yourself to him despite the physical illness, despite the financial crisis, despite the breakup of your family. You must trust him, even if it isn't clear that he's going to deliver you. We magnify and glorify a faith that believes in miracles. But a greater faith is a faith that believes in the simple ordering and providence of God. That when a miracle isn't working for you, you keep on trusting him. He praises them also, and this is the strangest thing of all. Nebuchadnezzar says, I praise you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because you defied the king's command. Can you imagine a more complete capitulation? Nebuchadnezzar is praising them for defying him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day that face of the fiery furnace will appear in the clouds of heaven and every knee shall bow, whether willingly or unwillingly, acknowledging that there is only one King of kings and only one Lord of lords. Thirdly, Nebuchadnezzar praises them because they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. What is your life? It is just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What is your life that you treasure it and baby it so much when you should be willing to lay it down for the sake of your Savior? These three names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, named 13 times in this one chapter. It's like a, something of a chant, a cheer set up that vibrates down the corridors of time. Who would have thought on that great occasion that the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be on the lips of every Christian child that has been born since that day that surround the globes. What child does not know of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So it shall be for all the little people, all the little people 
who do not bow before the tyranny of the ages and who do not count their lives dear unto themselves. For there is a face in the fiery furnace. And though you should not count it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing were happening unto you, so you should also not be surprised to find the sense of the presence and the reality of God with you more in those trying circumstances than at any other time in your life. Let us pray. Lord, we know not what a day may bring forth, but we ask that you will help us today in the conflicts with Satan and sin in the world to give glory to your name. Help us to be humbled and not to magnify our own power to our own shame, but grant, O oh Lord, that we might be among your humble people that glorify the name of God. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen.